Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let us pay attention to what took place today in the giving of the Bibles to these children. It is not something to be taken lightly for in many places around the world to merely hold the scripture in one's hand could be worthy of imprisonment. So I invite each and every person in the pew today to take the scripture in your hand. If you have your own Bible with you or to take one of the pew Bibles for the children, if you'll take the Bible that was just now given to you. And let us read the Word of God together. For the Pew Bibles, it comes from New Testament, page 108. Children, for the Bibles you just received, it's on page 956. 956. So we will be reading John 14, verses 1 through 6. The gift of God's Holy Word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Church, would you pray with me? Help me, Lord, to speak concisely. Help me, Lord, to speak with clarity. Humbly ask, Lord, that through me you will speak once again your transformative word to us and pierce the darkness of this world. Speak to your servants, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. On that fateful night, Jesus did say to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our society has a really hard time with any of the many exclusive sayings, claims, or demands from Jesus. I'm aware that every time I step into the pulpit and preside over a memorial service or a funeral, and I'm using our United Methodist Book of Worship, which basically is a great resource, and I, and I turn to the pages for the liturgy concerning our service of death and resurrection, and I see the gospel printed there for me from John chapter 14. It is a compilation 
of different verses from John chapter 14 that brings great comfort to us in those moments of memorial services or funeral. But I'm also very, very mindful that as I look at those verses, that one of the verses from John chapter 14 that is left out, perhaps because it does not suit the tenor of our age, is John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says, but through me. Our society has a great problem with the exclusive sayings that come from Jesus, the claims and the demands. As soon as the Jewish or the Christian community says that there is one God, we have presented a whole series of exclusive claims and demands. I realize that in this culture today, we have by default created a culture that in some ways seems to imply that all opinions are created equal, that somehow the person with the loudest voice gets the widest hearing. I realize that as a culture we seem to, by default, sometimes imply that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere about that belief. Well, the Jewish faith before us and the Christian faith for the last 2,000 years, we have been quick to say that all opinions are not created equal. We have been quick to say that you may be sincere, but you may be sincerely wrong. I know it's popular in this culture today to take all the great religions of the world and try to act as if all the great religions are basically the same. And we don't stop to realize how insulting that is to all the great religions. I remember after the horrific events of 9-11, I took three successive Sundays and I had a session of about an hour each where a Muslim imam and I talked about our respective faiths. And after three weeks, I think it was very clear to all of us that participated in that event after 9-11 that, that we disagreed, obviously, on who Jesus is. And therefore, we disagreed on the nature of God. There were many things we agreed on such as we agreed that we ought to radically and ruthlessly love each other, but we disagreed on who Jesus is and the nature of God. To be respectful to any world religion, you need to acknowledge that they have their distinctive beliefs. And I know that in this culture, sometimes logic and consistency is not really important. But if you are into logic or consistency, there are sometimes two contradictory stands that you really can't put together. We say who we believe Jesus is, and if we proclaim Jesus to be Lord, the moment we proclaim Jesus to be Lord, we are acknowledging there is none other. The ancient world, the world of Jesus, the world of the Apostle Paul, also had a really difficult time with all the exclusive sayings of Jesus. Perhaps you remember that in the age of Jesus and Paul in the Greco-Roman world, everyone had a multitude of gods. They were polytheistic. They had a whole pantheon of gods. 
And that's why the earliest Christian community did not have a difficult time convincing others to believe that Jesus is an expression of the divine. Their difficulty was in convincing others that he was an expression of the divine and there could be no other. Do you know why we chose December the 25th to celebrate the birth of Christ? I'm sure you probably had some people knock on your door and one of the things they may tell you is that he could not have been born on December the 25th and that the church, about 300 years after the birth of Jesus, declared December the 25th to be the day that we would use to celebrate the birth of Christ. When they tell you that, you say you know that. But then also tell them why we chose December the 25th. You see, again, in the ancient world, they had a pantheon of gods. So the ancient world had no problem adding Jesus to the list. So what we did about 300 years after the birth of Jesus, we chose December the 25th. We know that December the 25th can't be the actual birthday of Jesus, especially if we think those shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night in a field of green grass. Could not have been the winter time. That didn't matter to us. We chose December the 25th because in the ancient world, in the world of Paul, in the earliest Christian community, that was perhaps the most popular worship day among pagans. It was the day they chose to worship Sol Invictus, the invincible sun, sun, S-U-N, the sun that gives life to all the creation. It was one of the most popular worship days among the pagans because they worshipped the sun, the sun along with many other gods. So the Christian community, we've always had just a little attitude about us, the Christian community said, well, we'll tell you what, we will take that day and we're going to make it the day we celebrate the birth of the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. Because we wanted to make sure the people understood you can't go worship Sol Invictus on this day and then go worship Jesus Christ on this day. From the beginning, we made exclusive demands regarding Jesus Christ. As soon as the Christian community said, there's one God, like our Jewish forebears before us, and then we said, this one God is revealed, expressed preeminently in Jesus Christ, we were setting up a whole list of exclusive demands and claims for this Jesus. If this Jesus is Lord, then there is none other. So our society and the ancient world and much of human history has had a hard time with the exclusive demands of the Jewish, then the Christian faith. Timothy Keller has written a wonderful book, The Reason for God, Belief, in an age of skepticism. That book is the inspiration behind this sermon series that Pastor Clark and I have been offering. We'll offer for a couple more weeks. It's a wonderful book. I encourage you to look at it. We're just barely touching upon some of the thought in that book. In that book, Timothy Keller makes the stand strongly that it is very reasonable to accept the exclusive demands that we make concerning Jesus Christ. You may not know Timothy Keller. Tim Keller has created a tremendous church right off of Times Square in New York City. 
right in the middle, perhaps one of the most skeptical environments in the world. And he's created a tremendous church there. Because of where he's doing ministry, at the end of every one of his worship services, or most of his worship services, he has to do a question and answer with the people. He has many, many, many skeptics in front of him every Sunday morning. So if you read the book, and we have copies at the receptionist's desk, uh, if you read his book, you'll see that it does not violate reason to believe in the exclusive demands of Jesus Christ. And he makes a strong case that it doesn't have to make us hateful, evil people. Because if we make these exclusive demands concerning Jesus Christ, then we're saying this one who loved his neighbor, this one who loved his enemies, this one who healed one of the people that came to arrest him, this one who forgave his executioners, this one who was crucified for the world that rejected him, is Lord. So because of our devotion, our adoration, our allegiance to this Jesus Christ as Lord, we should be the most loving people on the globe. We as a culture need to relearn again that because I disagree with you, that doesn't mean I don't love you. So in the Christian community, we, we put out there many, many exclusive demands, but in many, many, many ways, we are a very inclusive community. Think about it for just a moment. We are the largest religion on planet Earth, and we're growing tremendously among all people groups among all geographical locations. So there must be something about the Christian faith that is remarkably inclusive, even as we make some exclusive demands. Every culture, every people of every clime can come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are a worldwide church. So obviously, as we look at the world around us, it should be clear that all are welcomed to sit at the feet of this Jesus. All are invited and welcomed to sit at the feet of this Jesus. This Jesus unconditionally and radically loves all of us and invites all of us onto a journey, into a journey of great transformation. This Jesus loves us just as we are, but refuses to leave us there because of how much Jesus loves us. He invites us into a journey of transformation. We Methodists talk about sanctification. We Methodists talk about going on to perfection. We're born imperfect and broken into this world. We're born in need of grace, in need of saving. That's why we celebrate infant baptism. That's how we enter the world. But God in Jesus Christ has already done everything necessary to love us, to usher us into the kingdom. By the way, you may have noticed when I preside over memorial services or funerals and I'm reading the passage uh, how it is presented to us in our book of worship from John 14. 
I always include in that passage and in that reading, John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by faith in me, through me, by union with me. That's been the historic faith of the church for 2,000 years. We need to be very careful about who we believe Jesus takes into the kingdom. We need to be very, very careful about being dogmatic about who it is Jesus ushers into the kingdom. I know that when I'm on the other side one day, I'm going to be shocked that I'm there when I see all this been prepared for me. By the way, I'm going to be shocked probably that you're there too. (laughs) But I'm certainly going to be shocked by the others that I see there. But I will not doubt in the least that whoever's been ushered into the kingdom of God have been ushered into that kingdom by Jesus Christ who is the way, notice the article, the way, the truth, and the life. The Lord who says that no one comes to the Father except through me. As we sing our final hymn, Jesus Loves Me, I hope we'd all claim that for ourselves. There is a basket down front. I invite you, if you feel so led, to um, begin our stewardship campaign by offering your commitment card. This Jesus, this one that we call Lord, and I suspect you know this, because I know I'm sort of preaching to the choir at this point. This one that we call Lord, this Jesus, says more in the Gospels about how we use our wealth than he says about prayer. What we do with our resources is preeminently a spiritual issue. So again, if you've made a commitment to this church, if this is the place where God is feeding you, if this is a place where God is adding meaning and purpose to your life by ushering you into kingdom service in this world, I invite you to strongly consider this Sunday, you've got three more Sundays, to make that faith commitment to the support of the ministry and the mission of this church. I invite you to join Join me and Tammy as we find the joy of sacrificially giving to support the work of this church. When you bring your pledge forward, if you choose to do that today or do the next three Sundays, when you bring your commitment forward, uh, feel free to kneel and pray at the altar. There's baskets in the front here in front of the altar. Feel, Feel free to kneel and pray at the communion rail. I think one of the best places to ever meet the presence of the living Christ is that an old-fashioned Methodist altar? So feel free to kneel and make your commitment. Let's stand as we sing.